Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, James Politilo, and the team from The Learning Effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. This week, we're exploring how you can use cutting edge tech and a performance consulting approach to really make a difference in your business. I'm delighted to welcome Lloyd Dean to the podcast. Lloyd, thank you for joining us today. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, yeah, sure. Firstly, thank you. Thank you for having me, James. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Lloyd. I'm currently head of digital and innovative learning at EDF. I suppose I'm, I'm passionate about learning, but even more passionate about trying to make an impact through our learning interventions. Lloyd, one of the things we're really interested in is why people got into learning and development and what is their passion about learning and development. So what's your L&D story? Yeah, I suppose it's more of a, an L than the L&D story. So I've always loved and been passionate about learning, been very curious um, from a young age. And, and my dad, when we were younger, taught computer sciences um, and later on did a PhD. So we, all had, we always had technology kit, very young, a BBC computer and all of this stuff. So I was exposed to a lot of technology, that's the you know, best way to say it. And um, maybe a digital native is a term to use. And as I went through my studies at college and university, I became a teacher. I always wanted to be a teacher uh, as well and transmit my passion about given topics and just make an impact to, to people. I later became a teacher trainer as, as well. But basically at that point as, at teaching, I realized that I could use technology to make things a lot easier for myself and the students and the grades would improve and I would do less marking and stuff. So I kind of automated some parts of marking assignments because you go through and it'd be like a lot of repetitive comments that people would do. And then I would spend more time on the um, individual uh, feedback points. But I also started to use, I taught anatomy and physiology, online custom games for diagnostic assessments. And I got to a point where I could kind of predict within roughly 10% if someone's going to pass or fail a particular unit. So point being, it, it, was, it wasn't just something, it wasn't a fad for me. It was something that was easy to use and made an actual difference. I then shared that with other people, um, other teachers, I should say. I was a kind of, I did a few conference talks and presentations and stuff, and then I was approached by EDF, and I've moved through various roles with them, initially um, very similar to the stuff I've just mentioned in, in terms of modernizing um, learning. I then promoted into a team, done the whole, listen, this, what do we do with the LMS? And I suppose my current role, which I've been in since 2016, is to kind of strategize what we're doing for learning and technology, um, making sure it's in line with the business goal. So that's my, so the, the learning and technology has always been a golden thread through my life and career, if I'm honest. I think there's some really interesting points there, because you go back to when you're in teaching and thinking about how technology can help or aid any workplace or any, you know, whether that's learning, but, you know, you start off with making your life easier, making the process more efficient, you know, and I think that's a really obvious place to to start. And again, a lot of learning tech sort of focuses on that of making the admin life easier or making the processes easier. You're then talking almost predictive grades and things, which again is using data and, and, and predictive modeling and starting to think about your how you're actually having an impact on the end goal. So I think there's some really interesting just sort of lessons there in terms of people stepping back because I don't think in my experience people necessarily 
think enough about what the tech is there to do and how it's there to aid the whole process and it you know it you shouldn't just be trying to make your life easier you should also be trying to enhance learning experience enhance performance or whatever else it happens to be but it's probably quite a confusing world for people who are out there and, and looking in who maybe aren't techies as you said you know you you sort of naturally inclined to be moved towards tech as well and a lot of the people in learning space aren't so what's your what's your view on on tech and sort of how that works in terms of aiding that experience is there any tips you can share or thoughts on the best use of technology yeah i think first of all you, we need it helps to know the problems problems is a loose word isn't it but you know things we could improve use the word efficiencies so not when i was teaching let's say one of the challenges was that people um you would have a scheme of work you would deliver and people would deliver the same scheme of work you know maybe 10 or 15 years and so they knew exactly what to do and when and so the uh, motivation to show individuals things could be better or improved for them and the learner was tough you know one of the lines i used to give to the, my final year of teaching is like hey i've done no marking at home this whole year got a lot of friends and enemies from that statement to be honest but <laughs> <laughs> But, but if I then take the, the, the concept of you know, the individuals I've worked with over the few years EDF, there are some who, you know, they've done their face-to-face -face training um, in a traditional way, or it's always worked for them. So why should or do they need to change? And I think understanding someone's world definitely helps rather than saying, hey, this technology is great, I'm great, and you should do this spending time to understand their world understand their their challenges i suppose the modern word we might use for that are kind of personas but again i think that's quite loose but really seeking to understand the individual so you can then work with them because i think a lot of the you know the use of technology the use of changing something is really driven by a motivation as well so i think understanding someone's personal motivation covid was a really um of the last 12 months COVID was uh, in many ways from a digital learning perspective, um, very helpful because it removed for some of our business units, it removed the conversation. It moved the conversation from a place of this has to happen. And from, our, from my team's perspective, it was how, what, what can we do to, to help with this in a more specific way? Um, so it's more of an open door uh, to use a cliche. So, yeah. So, let's let's pick up on that covid point as you've touched upon it so you know covid has brought forward or sort of made it real for people or, or forced people into a space that maybe they didn't want to go or weren't ready for yet or hadn't you know were looking at a two-year project to do something suddenly things had to happen overnight so how did you help those teams through that transition of you know suddenly you've got to embrace tech and, and use it what were the things that worked for you I think it goes back to that original point of just spending time with them, first of all. Um, and then I suppose it's on one level we would consult and advise based on their needs. I know later on we're going to talk about performance consultancy, but understanding what is the actual thing they're trying to achieve. Because the other flip side now we're in a, in a world where there's so many tools and so many things. So I suppose myself and the team, we could make an assumption that people knew what Zoom was. People knew what Teams was and how you could use it. and you and I may know that we can use Teams in a, in a, in a different way to Zoom. 
whereas some of our business didn't. Um, on top of that, there's lots so many tools uh, available. So you know, Miro as a, as a tool, but then there's a similar tool in Microsoft Teams. We use lots of assessments in some of our well, our business units do. So we've from Kahoot to Socrative to another kind of assessment within the LMS and just spending time um, going through with them what the differences are and were. And then, and then I think um, we spent time last year, with, particularly with our generation part of the business, just to define what, okay, we've got all this, this, understand your problem. We've got this wonderful shopping list, this wonderful array of tools. What is success for you? And how can we, how can we measure that in terms of an impact? And then I think the key, the next key step was just patiently work, working with them to show them how to use the tools taking from a place of maybe us doing things and then transitioning to them doing things and in, in, in small steps. So it wasn't a kind of subservient relationship. And I, you know, because we were not a huge team, we, we, we can't create the uh, digital learning for all of the business. It doesn't work, work that way. Um, and then just spending time with both the senior stakeholders to make them aware of the journey we're going on. Um, and just at regular stages reviewing that impact and we're, we're in a good we're in a good place now we're in a very good place um uh, now probably in a place where we're starting to say now we've got these tools how can we use them so we have examples last year and hottest day of the year people doing two spending literally nine to five two days in a row on a project management course whereas now we're starting to introduce you know things like asynchronous techniques how could we use the chat functionality or communities of practice in a different in a different way to what we've done before? And you're obviously on that journey and, you know, you can't just flick the switch and turn mm. on that. But what what's most surprised you over that year in terms of things that have worked or haven't worked or things people have embraced? You know, is there anything that stands out? Oh, yeah, good question. Surprise me. Um, Nothing surprised me uh, in terms of how people perceive things and dealt with things because I mentioned my teaching and then the teacher trainer background before when I did the teacher training element, I kind of got to view everything of people's perceptions and what they feel and their kind of that behavior change with learning technology and various. So I, I've kind of seen and felt, maybe that's what I'm looking for. I felt that experience before. I was, I was suppose I was surprised as, with how quickly people knew they had to make the shift to digital. Um, so some of those, like early on, we were you know, working very late in the first couple of weeks when we were, when EDF shut down the offices and people started to work from home. I was surprised with you know, how rapidly people wanted that support. Um, and then I, I suppose I'm also being pleasantly ple pleased with that ongoing need. It wasn't just something we did in the first six weeks of lockdown, there is definitely a, a requirement for that to stay in place. And I'm pleased that the, our business units are fully bought into that this may well be a long-term thing. I'm unsure if it is gonna be a long-term thing. Well, I'm, un, I'm unsure if at the earliest possibility, people will revert or try and revert back to time. That's what I'm unsure of in our, in our next phase, but I'm pleased we're having the conversation now. 
And so picking up on that, reverting back to type and do, do we find a hybrid? Do we stay more digitally led? Do we you know, go back to a classroom based view? How do you think that decision is going to be made? Do you think it's just going to happen or are you going to actually make a strategic decision as a business as to what you do? Yeah, I mean, hybrid's the new waffle word, isn't it? I'm wondering. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what does it really mean? And uh, in, in, weren't we? Some of us working in a hybrid world um, before the pandemic. My personal opinion is that let's say I work for EDF, right? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I work for my manager. My manager, you know, my experience is going to be dependent on my manager. I think that's going to be an interesting challenge for lots of organizations. So if we've had someone who for 20 years, They've been in an office and have their team around them and want them around them versus let's say a peer in their own department who's got a matrix team sorry uh, yeah a matrix team based around the country um and they're happy to use teams and they might catch up every so often for their you know coaching for performance comp type conversations that's going to be very interesting that uh, and i suppose what i'm talking about is that employee experience you know because it I have that. I have a feeling from some. As soon as the restrictions were lifted, they wanted to get straight back into the swing, swing of things. Whereas others in teams didn't, didn't feel so comfortable. That's going to be inter an interesting challenge for lots of organisations, because I've not seen many companies who are extremely prescriptive with what they want in terms of the new ways of working, what the office environment might look like. Yeah, be in two days. I don't see anyone saying. Well, actually, if everyone comes in two days, most people will probably come in either Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And what does that look like for office capacity for the Monday and Friday? And, you know, so I think um, there's a lot of detail and change to go through before we get a consistent way of um, accepting how people work and That's where a, they work, I should say. Yeah, I think there's there's huge amounts for people to work through in terms of what does that mean? What's that mean for different types of teams, different stages of career even? You know, as as you said, you know, the 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 obvious logical thing and you see it with working from home anyway, people go, oh, be at home Monday, Friday, tag it onto the weekend. But will that become a different way of working? As you said, you know, well, I'll go into the office Monday, Friday, crack on with some work in the middle of the week and, you know, at home and be very produ productive and have my collaborative time just before the weekend you know again th there could be very different ways of embracing that but we've we've seen across our clients and people we speak to again some people who are trying to be very prescriptive through to the we're just sort of hunkering down and if you want to go in the office you can go in one day a week and they're on rotors or different teams at the moment as everyone's still sort of feeling through what that looks like but it's weird as people are starting to return to the office, it's it's starting to feel a little bit more normal to people is, is mm. the view that we're getting because, you know, I, th I think 18 months nearly stuck at home for some people has felt very alien. And so it's going to take a bit of time for for what was was before, you know, going to a restaurant, going back to the office, all of those things are going to take a little bit of time to feel normal again for people and then to think about what might be a sensible hybrid. And I know you know that's one of those words but what's going to work for that business or that individual yeah it's it's fascinating isn't it i think because uh, i've been involved with some conversations where saying when they come into the office but you know but what what about how does this then affect policy if you're going to have a you know 
a serious conversation about someone's performance, do we then get them into the office to meet face to face? And all of a sudden, you go into the office, it's this horrible experience. Oh, no, I've got to go into the office. And, you know, everyone kind of, everyone knows what that means. That's that's a risk on on one particular level. And then the flip side is, if we embrace um, openness, have meetings, it's hybrid, people aren't comfortable to travel, they don't need to travel. It's, um, at what point do you say, actually, yeah, we need to catch up face to face? And uh, at, at what time do companies get to that place of specificity? I think, I think we have to go, definitely, I, I mean, I've, as I mentioned to you before, I've been on my merry tour, catching up with team members the last few weeks around the country, and it's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, but I think there are, there are going to be just lots of specific scenarios that come out that organisations are going to have to work through, really, and then provide a, a bit of a response in terms of clarity and direction for employees. Because, again, all of this, we're talking about this broadly, but all of this impacts the learning and development department, doesn't it? You know, because <laughs> in between all of this, we're trying to do, how does this then affect, you know, a leadership programme? How does this affect the other things we're trying to do as an organisation? Yeah, absolutely. And not just the programmes, but what are the abilities that our managers need? Because again, leading in an office with 20 people sat around you is very different to yes. leading a remotely connected team. So again, there's, there's both content or outcomes that we need to consider, but also delivery mechanisms and all of the rest of it. So it creates a, a lot of challenges for us as an industry to work through and you know sat beyond the the company politics is legislation regulation taxation there's all sorts of things that come together to say actually what is what is going to be a sensible future so i, I think for my takeaway is people need to be really attuned to their business and thinking about what is it that we're needing what is it that we're focusing on the moment because probably your leadership program from two years ago, if you're looking to resurrect it as soon as you can get back in the classroom, is likely to be a little bit obsolete. That's yeah. just my view. <laughs> um, so touching on something we wanted to talk to you about, Lloyd, was uh, performance consulting. And I know that's something that you've sort of brought into businesses or really focused on as part of your career. So do you want to talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I suppose uh, when I introduced myself, one of the, the, the things I said I'm really passionate about is delivering impact. And the department's not the same. My my line manager's no different. So as a department, we've been focusing on performance consultancy probably for about 12 to 18 months solid. So the whole department going into a particular place. We had a mix, a mix before where I'll, I'll borrow some words from, um, I think I heard this from Laurie Nels Hoffman in the past, but yeah, this kind of takeaway model of we're like a McDonald's, someone, a business asks us for something and we just deliver without asking any questions. Um, we're transitioning from that to a place of you know, what's, what's the impact you're trying to have? What are the facts you know about this? And just advising and asking maybe what might be perceived by some as challenging conversations, but in order to get to the end point and it's been a fascinating journey so i actually did uh, my own podcast in 2018 and there was a chap on there called james binder who spoke about performance problem canvas and it's brilliant so we kind of taken some of that methodology and built what we call a project first steps but for want of the better the terms it's performance consultancy now what's been great about that is we we have the theory but the the, the practice has been the, the wonderful journey um 
we've been using a model called the Lencioni model that deals with kind of the five dysfunctions um, of, a, of a team. And the reason we've been using that in alignment with performance consultancy, so please stick with me, is that conflict is one of the core um, one of the core dysfunctions of a team. And we're finding that one of our challenges has been certain team members are just having to have a lot of support and guidance to go through that conversation, go through that place where I feel really uncomfortable to challenge here, or I feel really uncomfortable to ask this question, or maybe I've worked with, I've worked in a business unit with these stakeholders for so many years, and now I'm, I'm being perceived as to ask, why do they need this particular intervention? What data do we need? Or we need more information before we can do anything, or even we, we're just saying, look, we're not the, we, we don't think we can offer value here. We don't think it's training. So, so a lot of my conversations with, with team members have been dealing with that area. But also what's been fascinating is this, is we, the core, so if the conflict is the kind of second level uh, dysfunction, the bottom one is trust. So in our, in our department, we've got so much trust in, in the department and individual team levels. But actually when we look at lateral trust, there's something missing. Wow, that, that was a, a big surprise to us. And the impact that has when we're having these performance consultancy conversations is huge because our structure is very matrix and we'll have kind of um, squads, groups, small groups working in multiple projects. And if those individuals in our department can't have those conversations laterally, how on earth can we then, well, that's going to have a direct impact on the outcomes because people are sitting on their voice and their hands. And so we're currently working through that now in a much, much better place. We've done lots of workshops, but it's, for me, what's been a real learning curve is we can talk about how we do the performance consultancy. And I think we can talk about that for a while and everyone knows, but in practice for people, for some people, it's a, it's a core behavior change. No, I, th I think it's a really interesting one because I think back to my career and I, I've probably been the anti L&D person because I, th I think every conversation I've ever gone into is I've probably started off with what you're probably asking for is not an L&D led solution. You're going to ask me, but I'm going to almost push back and ask a lot of questions straight away. And, you know, I've, I've been doing that for 20 years. I wouldn't have ever badged it as performance consultancy. I would have just badged it as trying to really get to the bottom of what the solution is, because you know, my view is always learning is never work, never works in isolation in a business because, you know, you can train people and you can do all of those things. But if 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 the whole rest of the system around the edges is not driving people to perform in a particular way, if the reward mechanisms, if the leadership behaviours, if the systems, if time or whatever else doesn't allow you to exhibit the behaviours, you're we're wanting you to do then you're you're starting off on a bit of a loser to start with training people to do things that aren't going to work and i think that came from me coming from a line management position but also coming in and being that front line of training out to businesses that were very operational and those people are looking at you going this isn't going to work you know our business you know so as soon as you're in that and you understand the business and i think that's really important for me is that if if learning people understand their business and they they often the benefit for people in learning is they're that trusted person who in a traditional classroom or workshop environment would get that feedback that maybe you wouldn't hear elsewhere beyond a team and i think it's 
I've always seen it as getting your team to understand if you're going to stand up there, you've got to make sure that you are going to be selling something, not you know, or promoting something or talking about something that's going to work in your business. And you can only do that by understanding your business. And that's where I started from in my career of not wanting to be the person selling you something that you know is nonsense or talking about mm. a business and, and trying to put in a new initiative that you know is going to fail because it's papering over the cracks of a hundred different things. So that's where I started my sort of journey towards performance consulting was from not wanting to be in that position. And then it just sort of evolved through my career as to getting people to think that it's unlikely to be a, a pure learning. So well, it's not going to be a pure learning solution for many problems. And you need to be involved and interested in far more than learning if you're going to have a wider impact. That's been my approach in my career. Mm, and I think, yeah, I, the analogy I use sometimes or the example is like our IT departments. Our IT departments um, more often than not get measured on deploying something Do, yep. yeah, rather than the impact of it. And I think L&D teams, if they wanted to, could do that. But I actually think it's a case of you're just delaying pain further down the line. I think that's that's kind of where I come at, come at it from, from it personally. And the fact that I think intrinsic to myself, I want to make a difference to, to people. So um, learning and development for me has been a way to do that. But I think there are some people in learning and development who are happy to take the order but maybe don't realize they're just delaying the pain because down the line whenever <laughs> whenever the eye of mordor may find us right if we've not delivered impact we are then going to have questions we've got some like really interesting be really proud of some team members on their personal journey um, over the last 12 months so for example a senior stakeholder wants to deploy a learning pathway to like the whole a whole department of you know, five or six hundred people uh, for us to go to a place of saying, you know, you're telling us you want to achieve X, Y, Z. And from our experience, the way in which you do this, we know we're going to get probably three or four percent of people engaging with the pathway, let alone completing it. And then pausing, having that real conversation. That for me is a is a place that I think um, L&D needs to get to and I yeah I, I really do believe that. No I, I absolutely agree with you that ability to push back that ability to partner with people to ask the questions to focus on what is it that you're there to achieve is that sales performance better onboarding whatever it happens to be really get under what's going to help that challenge and then I think it's also being able to step back and be quite analytical like you said in that case of, of being able to go if you do all of that this is the, the likely impact or you know as I've had in the past if I did all of this training you want to put all your people through do you realize there'd be away from the business for 10 days yeah. next year <laughs> is that the best use of 10 days of their time you know and so I think there's you know just being able to step back and, and reflect back to people the potential impact or lack of impact of what's being proposed is some rather than saying I think your solution is wrong I think it's being able to to work and negotiate with people to get them to to focus in on what's the real thing they need to achieve why how's that going to be measured and then 
get into the creativity of solutions rather than the person coming up, as you said, you know, however it's badged, the order taker or whatever it happens to be that someone comes up and says, I want a leadership development program, I want a customer service program, I want whatever this happens to be because yeah, that that keeps us busy, keeps us active, keeps some people, you know, churning around or on Zoom calls for the last year or whatever it happens to be. But what's the impact for the business? And that's that's yeah. a really important place to start. And and some of the the other, I mean, people I wanted to mention on this is also then this this kind of idea that you know we are disgruntled stakeholders, but clearly as we've said, is that's not the intention. And how we describe and articulate that is so important. And my, again, my learnings have been that people can do it with the best will in the world, but maybe we sometimes forget that still coming at that conversation from a stakeholder perspective, rather than, you know, we've got a process in our team that we need to follow. And what you're saying at the moment doesn't follow our process. That's the kind of journey we've been on on as well to say, no, we don't, that doesn't, they don't care about that. Our stakeholders don't care about that. Let's have a conversation about them and about solving their, their problems and that what they're proposing isn't going to work and break that down and that's where data and data insights do help absolutely and I, I think you know it's interesting you talked about people on that journey so maybe you've been perceived in the past as a previous person who would turn up and and do what was asked and and making that transition is is challenging you know it's, mm. it's easier to go into a new place where performance consulting is established and pick up that model but if you're you know if you're one of our listeners sat in a team and you're thinking actually i am being asked to do a load of stuff that isn't adding impact or you know the pandemic has created an option for us to to relaunch and not just put in what we've had for years and years and years you know how, how does someone go into sort of starting with that conversation and, and going back and starting with the business to go you know, let's really re refocus here let's look at that purpose mm. i think that's where a lot of people are going to be at the moment exactly yeah so another thing i wanted to pick up with you on is 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 tech in general because you know you said that you're really interested in tech and you've been on that journey and and one of the things we see is you know we hear lots of different things about new tech coming into learning and you have those people who go, OK, we must have the latest VR this, AR that, machine learning this, whatever it happens to be. So a bit of artificial intelligence. So I know that you've done some work with some of that tech in your businesses and it'd be really good to understand some real world examples of where you should or shouldn't or where it's worked, because again, it, tech shouldn't be faddy, it should be for a purpose. So I'd love to get your insights as to how you've approached some of that new tech coming into the market. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, use the word faddy there, it gets, it gets bashed around a lot, fairly and unfairly, fairly because clearly lots of people talk about it and they hype is a word, I suppose, hype things up. But at the same time, unfairly because I think if people aren't um, thinking about the impact, should I start that? Let me, I'll start that again. I'll bloody phone off. <laughs> I'll just turn the phone off. Um, sorry, I thought with the Apple when you're talking about tech, I thought when you just put it face down, it didn't go off. Um, so I'll, I'll, should I just start the bit about yeah. tech? Yeah, yeah, just start the bit again. That's fine. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I think you use the word fad, uh, and that's fairly and unfairly used with tech. Fad because lots of people hype certain technologies up. Often we'll talk about 
a technology in such a broad term that we <laughs> we don't specify it. AI is a, a wonderful example here, but as are a number of um, technologies, uh, but also unfair it in a way that it can have an impact. So it, we've spoken about data in this call, um, but the key is one example, and I'll, I'll give you some other examples. But the key thing for me comes back to it doesn't matter about what you're doing it's it's the impact and what are we trying to achieve here what is the problem problem that needs to be solved and that is the best place to come at it from i've spoken to lots of people from different organizations for example and they've spoken to me about given technology virtual realities common one and it's it becomes very clear to me that they are talking to me because either a they're trying to get justification just to use vr or B, they're going to just go ahead and use the R and it's paying lip service talking to me. Um, that is, I think that those types of examples then don't help, help the conversation around what we're going to do. Now, I think if we're constantly focusing on impact, and I'm conscious I'm using my hands here to illustrate some, something, uh, it's a podcast, but on one side of the spectrum, we're constantly focusing on impact. But the other, what's worked for us is just to spend a, a small amount of our time looking at specific pieces of technology to see if they could and that's the key word to see if they could have a potential impact or if they could support some of our longer term business goals and challenges because it's quite often that it's never today's challenges that some of these pieces of technologies could could solve and i, I mentioned that for our context at EBF because we've used technology in really niche case examples and now the exploring horizon scanning part of what's key for that for me is then informing stakeholders about the potential use cases not overly selling them and, and then maybe for certain technologies as it matures to show them very small discrete examples that is critical and i'll give you an example of where how that approach worked for us so a number of years ago at one of our power stations someone had a degloving incident so the skin and the index finger were completely ripped off and they've just left with bone um, Clearly, when people go to work, they need to return home safely. And that's an EDF, we've got a zero harm policy. Any company has a zero zero harm policy, right? Um, when we we then were, was approached by the station director who had been part of this kind of um, promotions, marketing bit we, we, we've done just to educate them on the technology and the potential use cases. We did a showcase for some of our station directors. The station director got him and his team to get in touch with us in our kind of central department. We, we spent some time with them. What became clear was this actually wasn't, a, this was an extreme example, but it wasn't an isolated incident. There were a number of near misses that occurred. And the specific scenario was a um, kind of routine health and safety check. So we did a lot of, um, we had a lot of conversations and we thought what would work well is if we, laser scanned the power station which was of the first of its kind in the nuclear nuclear power station to my current understanding um and we had cert the certain checkpoints of the health and safety task we could then um identify where were the common points that people were making mistakes and that enabled the um, power station afterwards to have specific conversations with individuals but also if there was something commonly missed we could look at the data and then maybe run a more in-depth conversation or a workshop about some of those tasks. Now we reduced uh, lost time incidents. The lost time incidents equates to a lot of money for the power station, uh, a lot of money lost, I should say. 
they were dramatically reduced. Only one person over two or three years um, had a lost time incident. And that was actually a contractor who didn't go through the training. Um, and we had a total return on investment of around 200 to 250,000 pounds. And, and I'll give you the long example there because the bit I mentioned before about focusing on impact, about horizon scanning and being in touch with your business, informing stakeholders, but still then going through the niche detail um, what was key. So that, that's one, one example. Just picking that example back, it's it's again, it's aligning your learning back to that business outcome, the business measure, rather than just saying, right, we've we've done the bare minimum, we've ticked the box, we've do, we've done yeah. what's expected, or we've done something that's very fancy or whatever. You've actually pulled that back. You've got the business engaged. You know, obviously having an instant helps heighten awareness but you know you've got that you know the near misses etc so all of that data is telling you like you said it, it's not just written off as a one-off you're actually looking at this and going okay how can we stop that and how can we put those solutions in and i absolutely agree that's where learning teams should be in terms of aligning with the business at that level of detail not just going okay we need to tick the box and you know, every business, as you said, should have a, you know, no one should come to work and not go home safe. But again, different industries or different businesses play different amounts of, you know, lip service or actual proper engagement with that message. And, you know, I'm, I'm reassured to hear that the nuclear industry is slightly more engaged than some of the other businesses <laughs> that, uh, across the heat but you'd be okay. you'd be surprised again in other businesses how they almost don't take those those risks quite seriously or you know their own individual risks which may not be potentially as catastrophic but actually could be because they might be risks around interpersonal interactions or whatever but people aren't necessarily taking the same level of rigor or approach to thinking about how they can support the business and challenge those. Yeah, and I think um, there's a couple of couple of points just on what you said there. So, what we don't often, well, first of all, we will use words like push versus pull. We need that, especially with technology and innovation. How, how, what's the balance? But no one really talks about the detail of what that is. We stay just that level of push we pull. I think understanding what the push is for your business and how you can relate your kind of horizon scanning and your proof of concepts to your business is key. What does what do your stakeholders, what do your directors want to know to be informed? Um, but the other thing is, people don't talk enough about when things things go belly up. A number of years ago, we invested some money in some Google Glass, and we were thinking. So, for at that point, our smart meet one of EDS challenges as well is to deploy a number of smart meters um, to homes. And there's a new generation of smart meters, and you know. The nuance is if someone goes in and there's a dog barking and a dog attacking them, it uh, happens more than you'd think for a start, but also if they were installed in a smart meter, maybe in a, an older house or a different house that they hadn't gone through their training and with, how can they get information and stuff like this? So we thought Google Glass, brilliant, this looks fantastic. Invested in some, tried it, very quickly realized that it's not, if you record a video, it's not gonna last longer than 15 minutes. Uh, we were told to keep them cool. We had to put them in the fridge because <laughs> they massively overheat. We're like, what? But we then, we, we, we did this with our research and development teams. We, we said, look, this isn't a technology I think our business should, should go for. And that was then part of our um, communication in our, you know, in our updates to stakeholders and their teams. Um, and that was removed, you know, from a, 
we didn't really even get to the point of proof of concept. We were just exploring the actual technology. It was kind of even at that earlier stage, but no one talks, no one talks about that enough. I don't think no one talk. And it's when we share those stories, I think about what's not working. That's how we, that's how we turn fads, you know, into things that work. But then I suppose we come back to this point or you have to be coming from a perspective of impact. How is this going to improve business and business performance? And I think you've clearly got sort of a, a, a sensible, rigorous approach to looking at new tech as it comes in. So, you know, if someone is sat there, you know, hearing about lots of stuff or, you know, as will happen in some businesses, someone will turn around at a senior level and say, why aren't we using this or should we be doing <laughs> this, etc. How How would you recommend people approach or keep up to date with all the things that are changing? Because you know, people are busy. So, what approach should people take in in keeping up to date and and checking out something new that they haven't used before or heard about? Yeah, good question. Um, I think in terms of keeping up to date, there are multiple sources you can use. I think um, so. What I try and do is keep up to date at a superficial level, and then when I'm curious, I'll then dive deeper. And so, it, I suppose at the curiosity level. Um, your basic magazines of Wired, I'm a big fan of, MIT, um, the, the journal there. But also, I think LinkedIn LinkedIn as a platform is great. Um, so you can kind of, the, what I found a few years ago, my platform, after I did the podcast, it was a lot of more followers and a lot more connection, which is great, but I wasn't always seeing stories and um, updates I wanted to see. And I heard someone use a phrase, uh, de-weed, you know, de-weed the platform so you can, curate your LinkedIn platform to give you specific updates. And I'm, I'm now following a lot of lot of individuals and organizations that give me that. You can obviously get your trend, your trend reports uh, from organizations like Gartner uh, in particular, and there's a host of host of others. Um, but I'm also curious to see how other day-to-day -day technology um, could then fit in with business goals. For, for example, I'm, I've got my Apple Watch and Apple products, and I've been following with intrigue about how that technology is going to evolve. And I think part of part of it is just trying to join the dot up yourself. But in order to join the dot up yourself, you can't you do need to know what's going on with your business. What are their key drivers, KPIs? What are they focusing on long term? Um, so, for example, with we do a lot of simulation at EDF. You know, Homer Simpson's job in the power plant, right? <laughs> he makes it a lot look a lot easier than it probably is, as well as the training. And it's critically important, I know, um, as we build new power stations in Hampton Point C and potentially other places in the country, that people with new technologies understand how to use them in pressurized environments. Now we can go through tests and we can go through processes. And I come back to my Apple analogy: is that they're investing heavily into the kind of health. Um, data. So on the latest, I saw on LinkedIn um, the other day, someone had shared a post where they had received um, a notification that had uh, in, in trouble one of the ECG scans that's built into the watch. And they've subsequently gone to the uh, GP and are going to be in surgery in six weeks. What a wonderful story, first of all. And as the te that technology evolves, it, maybe they can detect, um, well, they can now detect blood oxygen levels, I'd imagine, and I know from their future iterations, would be blood pressure and other um, physiological requirements. We can then put that into the simulation environment. I know 
that is going to help run a more effective and safe power station. It's going to help those in the, those technical instructors deliver that content to those individuals who are learning. It might also help to understand what is the most pressurized part of working in the power room um, as well. So I gave you a long answer there, James. I'm very passionate about this topic, so forgive the length of that. <laughs> no, I, th I think that's really interesting because, you know, even taking that holistic view of, of how you approach that. So, you know, taking that health data to understand maybe where people feel more stressed or where processes are more challenged or, you know, even you can even pick up confidence levels and all sorts of things, you know, that there's huge potential there to actually use data technology wider than just, you know, traditional learning tech to help improve the performance, the engagement, the health, the well-being, you know, the collaboration, whatever it happens to be. And I think like you said, it's coming back to having the root goal for what you're trying to achieve or the organisations trying to, trying to achieve and then being creative and probably just not looking through your own necessarily silo view of, you know, I'm, I'm just interested in listening to deliver some learning interventions, but I'm thinking about what's the best way that we and, you know, collectively can deliver that support to people. And and that that horizon scanning, that being interested, testing things out, I think is a is a great way to be to be and and that's where the creativity and some of the things you're talking about might get other people's thinking how can that work in another environment i go back to a completely different environment you know that i worked in say care where you've got you know again people going on to other people's premises you know where you've got people who are remote working who might not see their manager who are dealing with extremely stressful and challenging situations on a daily basis and actually the ability to to not just ask them how they are, but to have some ability for that person to to engage the, the huge possibilities for me in terms of looking at synergies across organisations, because organisations like yourself, you've got people going into people's homes, you know, people in that industry. You, you look, there's more commonality across industries and sometimes we'll realise and that sharing of best practice sometimes doesn't get beyond an industry silo or even an organisational one. So I think there's some really exciting thoughts you've just sparked in me there just from your very long answer, but no, really good. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, so you're at the the point of uh, moving on to a new challenge or about to move on to a new challenge. So what next for you in your career and what are you looking forward to getting your teeth into? Yes. Um, so I am going to be leaving EDF at the end of September uh, and I'll be joining a organization called PA, PA Consulting. It's, it's uh, for me, uh, a place of excitement and, and being scared at the same time because you're excited for the learning and the growth in a new role. But it, like every human being, I say every, but for me, there's this kind of imposter syndrome narrative going in my head. So I'm just dealing with that and just, you know, as, as you do. EDF is a great company to work for. I've led amazing people and work you know, with great and for great people. Everything for, it's been going really well for me, the organization. Um, I'm really proud of the successes that myself and the team have, have delivered. I'm just ready for a new challenge and a new change. And just to be honest with you, just really excited about, I know we're, we're having this conversation uh, early August. So by the time this goes out, I may have figured out the role a little bit more, um, but just really excited for this next step in my career, to be honest. Well, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to follow your journey and to see what happens next. And as you step out of that world of EDF into 
you know, PA consulting. So if people do want to follow you and, and keep in touch and maybe see some of your insights or share some of the things that you're interested in, what's the best way of them doing that? I've got a few social media accounts, but the best, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you're probably just going to see some rambles about Tottenham Hotspur and um, yes, Harry Kane potentially leaving the club. But the best, probably the best place to get hold of me is on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively active uh, on the platform. Um, but also very responsive on there as well. And we'll make sure your details are in the show notes below. Lloyd, it's been brilliant to have you on today. So thank you very much for all of your insights. And, you know, I'm sure we could go on and talk for a lot further about, you know, whether that's how you have an impact in business or some of the tech that you've put in. But no, I think it's been really insightful. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, James, for the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the learning effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.